Welcome, listeners, to another edition of KUAR's Week in Review podcast, where you guessed it, we take a look at the news from the week that was. Coming up. The legislative session is winding down, but first they tackled live ammo on the football field and online sales taxes. Lawmakers punted on highways and a gas tax. Where you live might say a lot about your health, and in Arkansas, none of it is that good. The state continues to wind up the gears of death, while a number of lawsuits trickle in over the state's plan to kill eight men in ten days. We'll have a special guest. That's all coming up. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Karen Trico-Stewart. I'm Chris Hickey. We've been following the spe- uh, the legislative session now for, uh, gosh, I don't know, three months or so, since the middle of January. It's winding down now. They're really trying to finish up this week, they thought. It looks like they'll have a couple of meetings next week, though, before they officially adjourn sine die. Chris, you've been watching a lot of committee hearings and floor speeches this week. Let's talk about what has definitely drawn the most national attention, Arkansas's recent decision to allow guns into college football fields, and then decision to not. Yeah, so as we talked about last week on the podcast, um, the governor signed into law Uh, concealed carry uh, legislation that greatly expands where uh, people can bring concealed carry handguns uh, in the state with an uh, enhanced license and eight hours of extra training. Places like college campuses, public college campuses, state capitol, and a number of other public buildings, some bars, bars, yeah, and that choose to allow it and so forth. Um, One of observers' uh, comments or critics uh, of this legislation have noted that there's a hole in this legislation which um, did not exempt uh, university stadiums or games or sporting events or things like that or um, University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences or the Arkansas State Hospital. So this week we saw uh, legislation move forward and um, pass both chambers that exempts those areas from uh, concealed carry, allowing concealed carry license holders to bring handguns. Now, the issue of like uh, football fields, this wasn't out of necessarily the goodness of the hearts of the legislature. The SEC, the Southeastern Conference, which the Razorbacks are a part of, basically told them, you've got to change this if you want to <laughs> have any games here, right? Yeah, although it's not explicitly written in the uh, you know SEC you know rules or regulations. Um, we saw, you know, their head commissioner or, you know, director mm. uh, come out and, and speak, uh, you know, and release statements saying, you know, you got to pass this exemption. This will mean be a bad thing. Um, you know, the NRA, the National Rifle Association, um, kind of steered the debate or at least the direction of mm. the last concealed carry uh, bill or law. And it basically, and they also oppose this, but uh, what's interesting, a lot of people have noted that, you know, the lobbying efforts of the NRA were, in this one case, uh, superseded by mm-hmm. the, the needs of college sports. Here, let's play Charlie Collins, representative from Fayetteville, Republican, who've heard from a lot, uh, who sponsored, who was the House sponsor of this, and he, of course, sponsored the original concealed carry uh, law. And uh, kind of talking about uh, the role of the SEC in this latest uh, spur of events. To be honest with you, I'm a little bit surprised that a week after transforming concealed carry laws in the state of Arkansas, we've really only got one new question, one new thing, and I didn't anticipate it, and I apologize for not anticipating it. 
I knew there were no SEC regulations, laws, or rules against what we were doing. That would have come up in the research. I knew that. But what I didn't understand was how important that was going to be to SEC officials, people involved in sports, people that make decisions about where championship games are played and tournaments are held, how important it could be to people that are athletic recruits and associated individuals involved in that. Worth noting, anticipate worth that. noting that all the boards of trustees for all these colleges, they, of course, said that this will hurt academic recruitment. But anyway. Yeah, they've been against the, these uh, expanded concealed carry bills from the beginning. Uh, now, a little bit of technicality here as to what it does. Um, it allows these college, uh, public colleges and universities to prohibit concealed carry firearms at collegiate athletic events so long as they submit a detailed security plan to the Arkansas State Police ahead of each game mm-hmm. in order to post signs uh, that expressly forbid guns on the on the campuses. And this ranges from like Razorback football games where there's 80,000 people to like UALR swim team where or UA Little Rock swim team where there's not 80,000 people. Yeah, based upon, you know, the language of of the bill as it's uh, written and it's now at the governor's office because it passed the Senate on Friday as well. And we should also note that these uh, security plans are exempt under the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, both right. expressly, uh, you know, written courtesy in this of new law. laws. Right. Yeah, courtesy of new laws uh, from this session. So. so that was Charlie Collins, a backer of the bill. There's still opponents to this, even though this amendment obviously is something that uh, people who want more restrictions on guns would support, even if they don't like the larger bill. Yeah, in the House, you know, this the the debate mainly centered around the technicalities of this law, but when the this actual came amendment, up, yeah. yeah, the the amendment, um, but when it came up in the Senate. There's more of a, a broader debate on gun rights. And um, the Senate sponsor, Trent Garner, Republican out of El Dorado, he had actually co-sponsored the original expanded concealed carry law, but he did not support this latest uh, quote-unquote fix mm-hmm. to this law. And, um, you know, he, he used his time on the Senate floor to really talk about his gun philosophy. The Second Amendment is a fundamental civil right, enumerated both in our state and our federal constitution. It is a God-given right, given to us by our existence on earth, by our creator. It's in our Bill of Rights at the federal level, in our Declaration of Rights at the state level. So Garner opposed this bill, and you know some other Republicans opposed this because it was, you know, kind of walking back the expansion. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to play you here a little bit of uh, Democratic Senator Stephanie Flowers of Pine Bluff, who kind of took issue... Noted for speaking regularly, perhaps at length, on the Senate floor. Yes, and very passionately, um, saying, you know, she took issue with this idea of the right to carry arms as a God-given right and said her constituents don't believe that at all. They don't believe that. They are peaceable people, loving people. And the God I serve is a God of love. Just like you sat up in here the other day talking about putting a damn motto that anybody pays for on the in God we trust. Well, a sign don't mean a dog. 
doggone thing to me. It's what's in your heart. And she said some other things too. Um, uh, <laughs> she, uh, you know, uh, yeah. So uh, you know, okay. there, there's a sample of the debate. I, I don't know. It's 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 hard so. To, so where do we stand? It's going to the governor. It's going to the governor, and I'll I'll just briefly summarize. Uh, you know, it allows the universities to exempt their. Um, sporting events from, you know, having concealed carry licensed soldiers bring guns on their, you know, in the, at the events. UAMS and the state hospital too? Yeah, those are exempt as well. Uh, public daycare facilities, that was not in the okay. original um, expanded concealed carry law. And um, what's going on with dormitories? Any change to that? No change to dormitories. Um, so what is the law? You can't have it in a d- dormitory, but you can carry it on your person within a dormitory? Yes. And there's no place on campus to store your guns if you're a student, but you're allowed to have them. Is that right? Well, I mean, conceivably, I would think that a student could keep one, a gun in their car. <laughs> you know, All right. They don't want to. <laughs> I guess we'll find out next semester. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's. Oh, and, and these laws take effect September 1st. September. Yeah. Next if, semester. Uh, and yeah. So the governor, he's expected to sign this latest. Okay, let's move on to a few other things uh, legislative-wise before we move on to some other areas for this podcast. Uh, one of the big unresolved issues this year... Oh, before we get to that, okay. Something resolved. Karen, you've talked, we've talked a little bit before about the Amazon tax, this online sales tax idea. It failed three times in this one committee, but on the fourth try, which usually never happens, it passed... Uh, can you tell what's the idea why behind this online sales tax? In theory, you already have to pay online sales taxes, but but most people don't. Right? But most people don't exactly, um, and so this is a way to generate state revenue, um, is what you know government officials say, and so they say they are losing out on uh, valuable state revenue that could be used for <laughs> important things. And that's been the big debate in committee. Each time it's failed, usually. It's people who want an online sales tax, but a lot of Democrats, for instance, wanted to guarantee the money would go to certain things like right. uh, rural services or, or the like, while uh, the main sponsors of it, Dan Douglas, Republican from Bentonville, and most Republicans wanted it just to go into general revenue, saying, we'll figure out where it goes later, highways, pre-K, whatever. That'll be a debate for the future. So that passed in the end. So that should bring in an extra 50 to $200 million if it eventually makes it to the governor's desk, that is. Um, some big issues that didn't happen that maybe there'll be a special session on is the issue of highway funding. Chris, I don't know if you want to set this up at all. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I know that, in, you know, a couple of years ago or a year ago, the Arkansas legislature held a special session to um, pass a series of laws uh, right. to guarantee that we'd acquire some federal match funds based on a federal highway funding law. Um, and a lot of that was predicated on the state uh, utilizing surplus funds to mm-hmm. to fund highways. However, as we've seen the past few months, the state's surplus money has been coming up short. So a lot of Even though lawmakers... we have record low unemployment. So that's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, a lot of it has to do with, I think, uh, lower than expected sales taxes um, rather than income taxes, which is interesting. But um, you know, so some Republicans, you mentioned 
Dan Douglas earlier, and he's proposed a highway uh, funding bill that would refer an option to impose a sales tax or uh, gasoline tax uh, to the people for a vote, and they would have to pass it uh, in order to, to come up with this revenue. But it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It was voted down. Um, an effort to expunge the vote was voted down twice. Um, and the session is almost over. So right. there's, it's unresolved. It's kind of hard for any Republican or any legislator to say, I want to raise taxes. And that's what this sales tax would be on a gas tax. But you know, a lot of that's traditionally how highways are funded are through user funded things like gas taxes instead of taking out of general revenue, which appears to be like the path of the online sales tax money. Maybe who knows that there's a lot of call for using that for highways instead. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, you know, it's uh, like you said, the session's almost over. So it, you know, they had a special the, session on roads last time they had to. It looks like they might have to again. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, let's get out of the legislature for a change and out to the, the uh, you call it countryside of rural Arkansas. Chris, um, you looked at some numbers in a report released this week that looked at county-by-county county health rankings for the state and the nation as a whole. It found there are better parts of Arkansas to live if you want to have good health than others, but no matter where you live, we're still not quite as healthy as most of the country. Yeah, that's right. So the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation comes out with its annual county health rankings every year. And, you know, as you might expect, Arkansas having the history that it does, uh, you know, often doesn't come out on top in a lot of, uh, you know, state by state health rankings. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have very high adult smoking rates, for instance, obesity rates higher than the nation. But, you know, this interesting thing about this county health ranking survey is that, you know, you can definitely see where geographically health is better. Uh, tends to be in the northwest, I guess, more, more of a wealthy part of the state. Um, Benton County was ranked as our number one healthy county. for, And it's based on a number of indicators, like I mentioned, smoking, obesity. Um, there's a physical inactivity rate um, that's measured. Um, access to exercise opportunities, like, um, you know, if there are parks or sidewalks or... Uh, just, you know, different things. Um, a lot of the counties in the east, uh, mainly in the Delta region, uh, are ranked kind of the, the poorest and also in the in the southern part of the state, the so- southwest. Uh, Phillips County was ranked last. It has a very high obesity rate, very mm-hmm. high smoking rate. Uh, access to exercise opportunities are low. But I talked to um, a, a fellow at the Arkansas Department of Health uh, his name is Namvar Zahuri, and he is the uh, health deputy chief science officer at the ADH. And I kind of asked him to put this county health ranking in kind of the broader context around the nation. With the report like this, with the county health uh ranking and roadmaps, where we're looking at a particular state, you know, we see Benton as being our number one and our best county. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make sure that we, we don't get complacent about our counties that are ranked so much higher compared to, say, counties like Phillips within, within our state. There are other indicators. There's another indicator that the CDC uh, puts out. It's called the uh, County Health Status Indicator um, List. 
And what they do is they look at counties and compare them to similar counties across the country. So Benton, for example, who is our best county, uh, is compared with a set of pair counties across the, the U.S. And when you look at that, Benton falls in the bottom 25% on a number of indicators. For example, um, stroke mortality, heart disease uh, mortality, uh, motor vehicle deaths, uh, adult depression, percent uninsured, you know, cost barriers to care, teen births, uh, physical inactivity, poverty, etc. So, yes, Benton is our best county, and that is great and uh, compared to other counties, but we can't ignore the fact that even our best county and, and, and our state as a whole still has a long way to go to try and provide optimum health and opportunities for all of our citizens. Ooh, kind of grim news. Thanks for that report, though, Chris. Yeah, and I should note that, you know, he's he mentioned that, you know, he's this county health ranking has come out over the years, and, you know, over the last decade or so, there has been a gradual improvement throughout the mm-hmm. state. But yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, am, I, am I rushed to get to the county health rankings? We forgot a pretty big story, nationally at least, in terms of the idea of transgender rights and bathroom bills. On the national level and the state level, we see an effort not to pass these kind of things. Karen, you've been looking at this a little bit. Yeah, of course, the uh, National Council of State Legislators uh, does tracking on on the bathroom bills. And um, it notes that 16 states introduced legislation uh, restricting access to uh, public restrooms, locker rooms, and and such. And um, a little more than half are considering legislation that is specific to public schools and and not anything Uh broader. Um, you want to so you want to tell us what happened in North Carolina this week? Yeah, um, so North Carolina repealed portions of its bathroom bill, um, and so trans people um, no longer have to use uh, the bathroom that matches their birth certificate. Rather, they can they can use a bathroom. And this that is matches. another example of uh, sports. You know, we were talking about the SEC there are a number and of boy guns, all sorts of companies, but North I Carolina, think March the Madness, the played tournament. a tremendous role uh, in all of this. It just happened, and it's probably no coincidence that they decided to repeal their law right afterward. And, and well, yeah, and you know, when the when this uh, when the first bathroom bill that was filed in Arkansas came out, the Little Rock Convention and B- Visitors Bureau mm-hmm. uh, released a statement in opposition kind of referencing what happened, you know, in North Carolina and, you know, and how, you know, tournament games and 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 things Angie's were, list and were, left were the state also. Yeah, yeah, and was saying, you know, it would threaten, you know, the possibility of, of these kind of large national mm-hmm. um, events uh, c- occurring in Arkansas. And, and the governor, Asa Hutchinson, a Republican who's, you know, a right wing Christian type of guy in a way, he did not support this bill either. He said it was unnecessary and he obviously knew all the flack it would cause. And the state of the bills in Arkansas's legislature, I haven't checked today, it's two o'clock on Friday during the podcast, but it appears the state legislature is not acting on anything. The bill that had the biggest chance by Linda Collins Smith, a Republican from Pocahontas in Northeast Arkansas, she referred it to interim study. So maybe we'll be dealing with it in the future, but certainly doesn't seem to be a threat this session, even though it was a big talk at the beginning of it that this could be a possibility. Okay, now guys, we're going to have a special guest on the podcast, which we like to do every once in a while. I think it's been about a year and a half since we called our friends in Jonesboro at KASU. So we're going to talk to Ann Kenda, who works with Arkansas Public Media. She's this reporter based out of Jonesboro there. We're going to talk about some updates with lethal injection and the death penalty. 
As we know, Arkansas is racing beginning April 17th to kill eight death row inmates in the span of 10 days. That's historically unprecedented in the modern era since the death penalty has been legalized. Let's give Anne a call. Hey, Ann Kenda, this is Jacob Kaufman at KUAR. We're doing the podcast. Hi, how are you? Pretty good. So, Ann Kenda, thanks for joining us on the telephone all the way away from Jonesboro. Uh, We've been talking about executions for a while now, but you got a chance to speak with one of the only people that that has ever left Arkansas's death row. That's very rare. Damian Eccles of the uh, much-talked-about West Memphis Three. I think, Karen, you have a question for Ann Kenda about... about, uh, her interview with Damien Eccles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why, Anne, do you feel that um, it was important to give Eccles a voice in this uh, debate over Arkansas um, and executions? Well, I had been thinking about his story, and I was aware that he had lived among those men, and I thought it was important to reach out because he knows the inmates. He knows what's going on from a very different perspective than anyone else. And so I kept thinking about his story, and I thought, I'm really going to reach out to the, to him if possible and see if he'll give an interview, because I was so interested to hear what he had to say about the executions. He was sentenced to death himself, and then, um, you know, through the whole legal saga that went on for many years, he ended up being released. But he was there. He knows what it's like. I just had a feeling that he had very valuable insight to offer about uh, life on death row. So I reached out. He agreed to take my call. Um, and I got, you know, an answer to the questions I'd been thinking about. And I was pretty sure that other people would be interested to know what he had to say about life on death row, about the other inmates. And then while he was on the phone, I wanted to ask him about his own healing process. Um, because he was released in 2011, so that was it was about five and a half years ago, but it's still somewhat new. So I was curious about how he's readjusting to life. So he said many interesting things. He said he talked about how healing can come in the form of art, and he talked about bike rides. He said he actually likes to ride a bike in traffic because it kind of forces you to be in the moment. Um, and that's part of his healing process too. So, a very interesting interview. One of the one of the most interesting I've ever done in my career, I think. So, I was so glad to get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Karen. Yeah, and uh, I was wondering. And so, Harvard Law School released a report this week um, saying that uh, it believes that five of the eight inmates scheduled to be executed are not mentally fit. Um, so, Eccles had you know, contact with, with the inmates. Did he express any opinion on whether they are or not? Well, he gave some rather brutal details about the mental health of two of the inmates. He said they're, you know, fully insane by any possible standard, um, you know, from the time that he lived with them. And, of course, they may be on medication now or they, they may have been evaluated differently. But Damien was there, and he said two of them are just you know, have no connection to reality, that that's how mentally ill they are. He he actually gave, you know, some very brutal details about that. He said one of them had actually filed paperwork complaining that Damien's mother was breaking into prison to rape him to try to get him pregnant. Um, this was according to the other death row inmate, um, which shows you, you know, and as Damien put it, that person has no connection to reality. So, um, mm-hmm. So I think mental health, I mean, that's probably, you know, an issue, 
you know, it, it's not for me to evaluate whether the inmates are mentally ill, but I can tell you what Damien said about that. Um, he also kind of commented about, uh, of course, Arkansas is unique in the nation because of this rushed pace trying to execute eight men in two day, in 10 days, uh, four nights of double executions. In that interview that aired here in Little Rock on Morning Edition for, from Arkansas Public Media, he mentioned that inmates kind of have an expectation of a singular moment of death where it's not muddied by other people being executed at the same time. Yes, that was a big part of the interview because um, Damien was very concerned about that. He was saying that whatever, you know, small dignity there is to be had in being executed by yourself, that even that is being taken away. And he compared it to a slaughterhouse or uh, chickens or cattle just being, um, you know, brought to the slaughter in mass numbers. So he was definitely concerned about that. And I've also heard arguments from other sources that maybe it's less traumatic to just get a bunch of executions over with at once, that maybe it kind of can all be dealt with in a very condensed period of time, and this is somehow less traumatic. But Damien, um, he definitely took the opposite perspective to that. He said it's much worse. You know, he said even even just the small dignity of being executed by yourself um, that even that was being taken away. And it's just, um, he thought that it offered the inmates no dignity whatsoever to just be lined up like it was a slaughterhouse. Sure. Chris Hickey, you have a question? Hey, Ann, it's Chris Hickey here. Um, you know, I know that you asked him about, you know, his history of traveling back to the state after he was exonerated or after he was, he won his, um, you know, he was released. Um, what can you tell us about his plans coming back to the state? What does he plan to do in the sure. coming week? Well, he was talking to me about that. He said he really doesn't like to step foot in Arkansas, and he never planned to do it. There was a previous time where he was asked to speak at a class about writing. So he did go um, to a university and speak with a class and do a short-term program. But he said even then he was uncomfortable. He just got in and got out, and, you know, he didn't he said he didn't visit with people. He didn't do anything else. He was just in and out of Arkansas because he felt a lot safer that way. And he said that's how it's going to be for the second time that he's coming to Arkansas. He said he plans to attend an anti-death penalty rally on Good Friday um, because he said he thinks it's important enough to do this. And if it were up to him, he would rather just stay out of Arkansas altogether. But because of what is being planned, he's willing to come to this rally. So that's going to be on Good Friday. And he said it's sort of going to be the same thing as his other visit to the class where he's just going to go in and go out. But um, he has said that that is what he intends to do. All right. Well, thanks, Ann Kendra. We appreciate you joining us for this uh, podcast episode. And, of course, clemency proceedings are ongoing. And as of Friday, when we tape this, there are three court dates to look forward to, some of the bigger ones. One is in a... Pulaski County Circuit Court with the famed Judge Wendell Griffin. He's uh, saying that the secrecy law should not apply to manufacturers of the state's execution chemicals. State Supreme Court has ruled on a similar matter, matter, so we'll see what happens with that. Two other federal cases, one with U.S. District Judge Christine Baker, April 10th, is about the compressed schedule, saying it, it will lead to cruel and unusual punishment because of the staff having to execute that. The other one on April 4th, which is Tuesday, U.S. District Judge D. Price Marshall Jr. at 10 a.m. 
has a hearing about uh, the shortened time frame, how it affects the clemency process that is ongoing. So we'll take a look at that next week. And of course, executions start April 17th. And we look forward to a lot more of your reports with Arkansas uh, Public Media. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, guys, that's the KUAR's Week in Review podcast. We covered a lot of stuff. Thanks for all your look at the legislative stuff, Chris. Karen, your updates on the bathroom bill. We learned a lot this week, I think. Any questions from the week that was, guys? Any lingering doubts? No? Nothing? Mm-hmm. Looks like Karen has something to say. Okay, hold on. Guys, have a fun weekend planned ahead of you. Stop socializing. <laughs> this is All right. On that happy note, we're going to end the Week in Review podcast. Uh, KUAR's Week in Review podcast is licensed by UA Little Rock, though we are happily editorially independent of this fantastic university. <laughs> All right. I'll cut that up. All right.